349 of Ferg on the Freak. I'm the bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. Joining me as always is the very level, calm, balanced, and not at all emotional League Freak. You can also find on Twitter at League Freak. How you going there, mate? I'm very good. How are you? Well, obviously you're very good. Your team's made the finals. It's pretty I'm good. just, you know, my team doesn't make the finals, so I'm just... It's like the other six months of the year for me. <laughs> so with less misery. With less, well, I suppose a little bit less misery this week because we haven't been, in, you know, every third story hasn't been a West Tiger story this week. That's true. That's true. It's it interesting because I went onto the NRL website mm-hmm. after the uh, after both finals games. Yeah. Just to see what was going on with the West Tigers. Yeah. And... I mean, commiserations to the staff writers that uh, at the NRL website because they actually had to write rugby league content about what happened on the field in the games that were just played instead of drumming up drama over what Chairman Lee or whatever fucking Justin Potato was up to. So it was, must have been challenging and very hard for them, poor buggers. It's got to suck. It's yeah. It's got to suck. It's uh, luckily we had some interesting football on the weekend now. And I guess what we should do with the rugby league podcast is talk about football from time to time. We, we, look, we can do that. And I'll, yeah. I'll just start to, um, this has been an abomination of a final series because there's been, you know, as, as the final series has gone on, there's been less and less uh, PVL excitements going on. Yeah. I don't like games where there's not 70 points scored. Hey, yeah, that's a problem. Like, yeah. They're the best teams, the best attacking teams in the competition all year, and they're scoring like eight points. Yeah, what's going on there? It's almost as though all of the teams just decided to play real rugby league for the last few weeks. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. It's um I'll tell you what though, they have to change the fucking rules. Yeah, definitely. In fact I think that we should go to zero refs. I think Zero refs, and yeah. let's have 15 tackle sets, and every team gets to have at least five tackle restarts every half, whether mm-hmm. they've earned them or not, just like the refs challenge. Mm-hmm. And fuck it, the refs challenge, let's just go nuts with that and just have it unlimited. I'm up for that. Yeah. I'm up uh, for that. They're trying to get unlimited as it is, because you, if you're specific enough, you can say, listen, I'm challenging that my, say, winger, knocked the ball forward into the opposition winger. And if it is not that exact thing, you get to keep your challenge. Oh, that's right. That's right, yeah. Um, and so they're, they're picking those moments like that, not because they're challenging a wrong call. It's about trying to have as many challenges as possible so they can stop the game as often as possible so they can give their players a rest. Well, Penrith literally used one on the weekend as a timeout. Like it was a dead set yeah. Flat-out dropped the ball near the end of the game, and it was a flat-out timeout that they took. Yep. But we'll get into that as we review the games. We will indeed. We will indeed. Um, let, let's get into, uh, was it Friday night? Yeah, Friday night. The Rabbitohs took on the Seagulls. Um, yeah. Seagulls kind of, kind of hit the wall. We always felt like they weren't anywhere close to the top teams, and this game kind of proved it. Like, they did all right, but the Rabbitohs were just on a completely different level. I don't think they ever looked like they were out of control of the contest. And, yeah, the Seagulls, it just didn't happen for them. And once again, they managed to – we saw another team that really kept 
Tom Travojevic in a cage, you know, that just kick into the corners and really making sure you tackle him and wrap him up. It's kind of funny how that works. It is, it is. It's, um, it's, it's hard to look past those opening four games that Manly played this year when you come to the end of the season mm-hmm. um, because it's hard to believe that one player can take your team from having one of their you know, all-time worst ever starts to a season and help them finish fifth, mm. fourth. And uh, in the fact they lost by 20 against South is probably not a bad result for Manly in the end, but um, uh, it's crazy that you can get that much extra value out of one player uh, and it's not a halfback. The other thing too about this game, I did not see this game at all because of work commitments. Mm-hmm. Um, I was sitting on the train just looking through Twitter and when I logged on to Twitter, um, it was about half time, and I saw Tom Traboy, which was trending. So I made a tweet saying, Tom Traboy, which is trending, which means either South are up 30 nil and Tom's gone missing, or Manly's up 30 nil and South have gone missing. <laughs> I saw that. That was funny. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, look, he, he didn't play bad. It was just South really didn't allow him to dictate the play like a lot of other teams did. Still managed to score a try, but, you know, by that time the game was well and truly over. Yeah. Um, and Souths have been impressive in this final series. They've got rid of those low points in their game. And I think one of the things that's different about them this year is that in the past when they have had a little bit of adversity with, say, a player being injured and, or, and even being on the field, but just not being 100% or they miss a player or something, normally that's them done. And I think that's why when Latrell went out uh, a few weeks ago with his suspension, a lot of people wrote Souths off. And I I almost felt that way as well. But they've shown that they've learned from maybe past seasons where you've got to show resilience. And they've definitely shown resilience in this final series. Oh, no doubt. I also don't think Latrell adds as much to the side as a lot make out that he does. Oh, I'm really? Not, I'm not saying he's a bad player. I'm just saying that South can clearly play intense, high-pressure footy against the top teams in the competition in do-or-die moments without him and still win by 20 points. It's a good point. I mean, I guess South's have very, very – they've got a very experienced spine, apart from the rookie at fullback that stepped in, um, Blake Tafe or Taff. I, I uh, like the fact that he's called Tafe. I, I kind of like Tafe as well. I've heard him called both by yeah. professional commentators. Um, if maybe he's a – maybe it's Blake Taffy. Maybe he's French. Um, but Taffy. Taffy. Maybe he's from country Queensland. Taffy. <laughs> Taffy. Um, Taffy. <laughs> but, yeah, they've, they've. I think that having that experienced spine really helps them um, overcome the loss of Luttrell to a certain extent as well. Absolutely. It's, um, I, I just find that um, you can park Luttrell in this team mm-hmm. and – it might give them a few extra percentage more in class, mm-hmm. but you take him out of it. It's not. It's not dropping them 
that far down, if at all, from where they already are. Yeah, well, he's not a, a do-or-die player. Like, there's plenty of players in the comps right. where take him out of the team and that team's done. And obviously, yeah. well. for this South team, isn't one of those players. No, that's right. So I think they'll be fine. Um, so, yeah, it was... I mean, the first half was pretty much made it all a foregone conclusion, really, and South just defensively hung on to their lead and, yeah, steadily built upon it in the second half. It wasn't a classic game by any means. Merely mm. just weren't... They they just weren't good enough. Simple as that. No, and it, it... Look, I think that this weekend really showed that we always had a top three teams in the competition this year and uh, everyone else was making up the numbers to a certain extent. But the Seagulls, considering the start they had this year and what they turned it around into, it's been a pretty remarkable season for them. It's going to be interesting to see how they back up, though, because when you look at this Seagulls team, it's not like you look at them and you say, wow, they've got all of these great young players who are going to improve or anything like that. There's a lot of veterans in this Seagulls team, and they kind of have to have another good season next year. Like, I don't feel as though they're going to improve too much on what we saw this season, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I think, because, I mean, they've not got a huge amount of um, talented juniors coming through, especially in the spine. Mm -hmm. So they're all just going to be a year older next year. Tom's obviously not that old, so that's not a drama. Mm -hmm. But you don't exactly have spring chickens in the halves anymore. I mean, maybe Johns would say they're in the prime of their career, but, you know, Matty Johnson's a dickhead. Sure. Um, so that, that is a bit of a problem. And they still have an issue with hooker. Like that's the remarkable thing about this side. They've had a makeshift hooker all year. Yeah, yeah, that, that's one area. I don't know who they could go after. The um, I guess the young bloke, well, he's not a young bloke. I'm starting to become Matthew Johns all of a sudden. Steady. The, the, <laughs> the, 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 the uh, Titans let go. I can't remember his name at the moment. Oh, right. Yeah, Mitch Rain, that's it. He'd be an all right, just makeshift hooker until they find someone a little bit better, which kind of feels like Mitch Rain's entire career to a point. That's a very fair call. Mm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, South beat Manly 36-16. They were the first team into the grand final. Um, their first grand final appearance since 2014. Not that and far it, ago. Yeah, and it, look, it's their second grand final appearance in, what, 50 years? Pretty close to that, something like that. Yeah. Um, Which and... is still twice as many appearances in the last 50 years as the West Tigers have had. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> that, that's amazing. Um, I'm here for the numbers. Yeah. You should get into stats. You'd be really good at them. Uh, <laughs> it was cool to see, like, Benji Marshall being emotional. That was pretty amazing. Um and thinking about how, you know, as a young bloke, he led that West Tigers team to a grand final. And, you know, I guess being a youngster, he probably thought, oh, there's going to be so many more of these. And it's taken him all these years to get back. And he's had a bit of a winding second half of his career. Uh, and there's a lot of mail that this will be his last game, the grand final. So it was wonderful to see him um, get a chance to be in the grand final and, finish his career off if it is the end of his career, you know, doing being in a big game, which is how Benji Marshall deserves to end his career if, if that's what he chooses to do. You know, it's fascinating about the Benji Marshall story, and I touched on this on Twitter during the week, and that is you think of the first four years that he played, mm -hmm. 
He only had one season where he completed at least 20 games that year. Yeah. It's 2005. The other years around that, um, he was just coming into grade and injury prone like you could not believe. Yeah, you kind of thought that he might be one of those players whereby, you know, the fifth or sixth year of his career, he was playing local A grade somewhere just for fun because the injuries were just devastating he was getting. And yeah. a, just the perfect example of sometimes players need a, a few extra years to let their body grow into um, fill out and become a first grader's body because that's, that's all it was. Once he filled out a little bit, he really hasn't had injury concerns after that. No. Um, and I think he's had just, he's had four or five seasons where he played less than 15 games. And yeah. if he had have played at least 15 games in those seasons, so not a huge ask, then the grand final would be his 372nd NRL game. Yeah. As it turns out, which would make him equal with Cooper Cronk. That's crazy. As it turns he, out, he's going to be playing his 347th in the grand final, which will make him equal with Corey Parker mm-hmm. and one behind Paul Gallen. Mm-hmm. Which makes me ask should we have a best of five grand final series <laughs> just so Benji can go past those two idiots? Well, like, I feel like Benji wouldn't be a bad buy for certain clubs next year. And I think it's going to be completely on him. It's going to be if he wants to move to a different club, because I feel like Seattle will probably go in a different direction next year. Although maybe they'll say to him, look, we need a halfback and you're a good player to start our season with at the very least. Um, but if he, he might not want to change clubs, he might not feel like he can be a full-time 80 minute player now um, it's just up to him, but I think that there are plenty of teams that I could look at and say, damn, he, he'd be a pretty good option for that team. Like, it's say he went to Canberra. I don't think he'd be a bad player for Canberra. There's heaps of teams like that. I think um, if I – I don't think he's – I mean, I personally don't think he'd leave Sydney, but if he – the only place I'd, I'd like to see him go to outside of Sydney would either be the Warriors – Mm-hmm. Or Gold Coast because he did he did start a keeper park out there. I was going to say Gold Coast too. Hey, that um, would be cool. The Bulldogs would be the other one because the Titans and the and the Bulldogs will have pretty young halves next year, mm-hmm. and he wouldn't have to play every game. Like, he'd only have to play maybe five games, just wherever there's a, a you know an injury or someone suspended or whatever. He can just fill in. That's the only time he plays. But it'd just yeah. be helping out doing training runs and, you know, you know, running a few drills with the guys and being sort of their coach as more more than just a player, you know. And it'd be, it'd be the good first step into the next part of his career if he wanted to go that path. Um, I think he's still got a lot to, to give back to the game and I think he still wants to. Yeah, I'd, like at the same time, though, I could totally understand him saying... I'm playing for South Sydney in a grand final and I like win, lose or draw going out in a grand final with South Sydney. And that's your last game is, I mean, that's pretty damn special. Oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. And let's be honest. I dare say there won't be another player come along who will have a longer and more exciting highlights reel than Benji Marshall will. Yeah. You'd have to be a damn good player. Um, Yeah. 
it, it just, I love him. I've always loved Benji Marshall from the moment he stepped onto a footy field and he was playing that touch football style of game. Uh, he's just great. I wish he could play forever. Oh, absolutely. Likewise. But there's only one Stanley, Gene. There is. <laughs> That's unfortunate, but that is. Them's the breaks. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, the other game. Let's be honest. This was essentially, in my view, the second semi was the grand final this year. It felt very... Uh, there was so much to this game. So much to it. Um, the thing that got me was that the Panthers in last year's grand final come out and they gave up 10 points in penalties. Like, that was the first 10 points the Storm got were off yep. penalties from the Panthers. And... You know, they finished the game okay, but they got taught a lesson by the Storm in last year's grand final. And to come out this year, you kind of wanted them to hit certain points in the season. You wanted them to hit certain markers. And so far, they had hit pretty much every marker you could have set them, except for beating the Storm when it really mattered. Mm. So to come into this game, the Storm had the week off. There was a lot of talk about Penrith's attack. You and me talked about it. And this felt like it was going to be the Storm kind of doing what they did in the grand final again, like just saying to the Panthers, you're not ready yet. And for the Panthers to do what they did to the Storm in this game was pretty extraordinary to watch as a Panthers fan. And, like, I think if we weren't, if we didn't have this rule set that we've got in the NRL right now, I feel like this Panthers attack would be by every measure, including points per game and things like that, I think it would be without doubt the best defence in the whole history of the game because what they're doing under the current rules is absolutely mind-blowing defensively. Yeah, as I, I mean, I've, I've said this for the last two years. The way their defence works is very unique but not complicated. Mm. And it's so damn effective. And I'm surprised other teams haven't, tried to copy it where they can. And that is, you know, they work in pairs. One looks, one's focusing on the ball. The other's focusing on on stopping the player making mm-hmm. meters. It's it's that simple. But then, so if, if the ball comes loose, mm-hmm. the guy who's focusing on that, he's right on it. Falls on it, bam, turnover straight away. Or, you know, forces a turnover straight, you know, if he doesn't get to pick it up. And it's just, it just creates this constant pressure that is fucking unrelenting. And as the Panthers have started to get back into the grind um, and start finding their mojo again, they haven't found it in their attack. They find it off the back of their defense. Mm. And this this game, we finally saw their defense back to its absolute utmost best, which makes me think that their attack next week will be better than what it was the last two weeks. Yeah, and look, there were signs in their attack that things were starting to click a little bit, which was good to see. Um, Jerome Luai, it's crazy. He got knocked out in the first half, and I thought he was out, and we'll talk more about that because it caused, caused a lot of controversy. But in the second half, he came out, and he looked back to his best. Um, but the one of the things I found interesting about the two teams, especially in the first half, the Panthers, they wrapped the man up. The The Storm were looking to wrap the ball up a lot more. And they were looking, and I think that maybe their thought was that 
if you get if you can wrap the ball up and start to make the Panthers worry that you're going to lose the ball in a one-on-one tackle, or that's just a possibility that they're going to slow the Panthers down. Sometimes it worked, but it didn't work as well as I think they expected it to. And, you know, it was just interesting to see the two different styles of defense in that first half. I was going to say, I think the Storm were trying to shut down second phase play from the Panthers. Mm, You've mm. got a few players there who thrive on it at the at the Panthers. That's uh, Tuo, mm-hmm. uh, Crichton, very good in broken field running, and then you've got Cleary, Luai, and Kickow. Mm-hmm. All with very different skill sets and um, mindsets on what to do when there's a bit of broken field play to you know in front of them. Yeah, and that's too many. Too many dangerous points of attack, and they're in different places all over the field. Um, so the idea would have been shut that down so that we can hopefully shut down their point-scoring opportunities, and then the Storm would just rely on their ability to score points to come over the top and win the game. That would have been the way they were thinking. And for the most part, it was kind of working. Mm. The problem was their attack was just... It was clunky as fuck, let's be honest. It was it was hard to watch. After watching them just annihilate teams all year, mm-hmm. it's insane to think that they were struggling to score points during this during this match. Like they didn't look like scoring half the time. Yeah, and like the one try they got, it was a Ryan it was a kick that Ryan Pappenhausen kind of scooted through about five Panthers and it just bounced in his hands. It was a, a little bit lucky, but he put himself in the position for it. Um, Cameron Munster was non-existent in this game. Um, Jerome it's starting to become a little bit of a trade of his. It is, yeah, it is. Jerome Hughes was all right, but he copped a bit of a knock as well. They lost Brandon Smith early. Um, they hurt. lost Chris, Christian Welsh early, very early, and th- there's th- they were the two big head knocks. Christian Welsh early on in the game. He copped a head knock, was all over the place, was in the, like, just next to the ruck. The referee didn't really do much. No, no, that was a different, was that a different one? Or was, no, Christian Welsh got knocked out up the field a little bit, uh, trying to tackle the Panthers. And then when the Panthers were attacking the Storm line, the play was stopped. And the Storm trainer come on and did the whole assessment. And so, you know, it was almost that timeout scenario that, People were blowing up that the Panthers did earlier, you know, in the the final series last week against yes. the Eels. Um, almost the exact same situation, but you know, then the Jerome Luai one where he got knocked out, and I thought his game was over, and he ran out in the second half. It was kind of weird. He probably should have um, not come back on. Mm. There was some. There was a quote he had at the end of the match. Where he said, when someone asked him about, you know, asked him about his head knock, and he says, Nah, I sort of blacked out quick in there, was sort of dizzy, but I sort of hit the switch and I was sweet. You know, like, blacked out and dizzy? <laughs> How does that pass? Like, yeah. Your brain is not where it should be if you're blacking out and dizzy. There's the shit's been switched off in there. And so how does, here's the thing that gets me, because he would have had to have gone 
in the change rooms and passed a HIA, uh, HIA test, which is it's pretty involved. Like it's not easy to pass. We're, and I want us to both do this test on the podcast. And what we might do is we might do it normally, like just you know as is, and then pause pause the podcast. Not this one. We'll do it in a couple of weeks, I guess. And then I will try and do it after drinking quite a bit, and I'll see if I can pass it. I'll, I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. I was wondering where you were going to go with that because I thought we'll pause it and then knock ourselves out and then do it again. But I thought, hang on, who's going to remember to ask the questions? <laughs> well, here's the thing, right? I, I, I can do it drinking. Maybe, I don't know, you could get like your wife to just knock you out, just one right in the chin, just wake you up, and then you're straight away recording. She, she's hitting me on the chin, mate. I'm switched off for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Oh shit! Oh, I've got a lot. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it was it was a shock to see him come back on the field, and I think the biggest shock was that he was so damn good in the second half. Like he looked really really dangerous. Uh, there was a number of times that Cleary got caught on the fifth tackle with the ball, which normally isn't something that happens with him. But that's when Luai is supposed to step up and do those playmaking duties. But when he wasn't there to do that, he was just looking around the ball, and that's when he's at his best. That's right. And Cleary's always been – and this, this is one thing I do like about his game, and a lot of people might be um, not inclined to agree with me, and that is I like the fact that he will sometimes run it on the last. Even when it's abundantly clear, there is nothing on mm-hmm. when he runs the ball. Because what it does is it makes the defence constantly think he might run this time again. Yeah. And so they just hold off. And if you're a halfback and you can make you know, the defensive line hesitate, more often than not, you'll get one-on-one with them. And that's, yeah, half the time, that that's the biggest battle is getting, drawing just one defender, not, not having two on top of you to shut you down. If you can just got one in front of you, You've got options all around you that way, and they're not—they're not trying to shut you down because they know if they jump out of the line and you play—you play something sharp left or right, you've just created a gap. So the defender will just hang off you, and that's something that Cleary's always done. And he doesn't pick his moments; he just goes, you know what? Sometimes if if I don't think there's something on, I'll just run it because it has, you know, it, it's there's a fair chance it will just bear fruit later on in the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's such a good ball runner too. I oh, yeah. like he's got got good leg drive on him, and he's got a very very good step. Yeah, and, and like not even a good ball runner for a halfback, just a flat out good ball runner. Yeah. Um, he's and, and I like that. It's funny how many times you've thought for so many different halfbacks, like this guy should just make it a, an effort that he runs five times a game, no matter what. He just is like when the ball's being played. All he thinks is, I'm going to run it when it gets to me. And it's almost as though Cleary has that in his head. But as you say, it plays out over the course of the game. So that by the end of the game, and that's when they're at their most dangerous, when Luai and and Cleary are both running the ball, that's when all of a sudden tacklers come, get sucked into them, and that's when you flick it out to a kick out and let him just, you know, be the incredible Hulk. Speaking of, I actually thought kick out was a lot better in this game. Yeah, I thought he was really good. Defensively, he was very good. 
I thought when he got the ball, he looked really scary running it. He just got it and ran hard. Yes. And yeah, he didn't overplay passing the ball too much either, which he can sometimes get into a, a scenario where he's running the ball and he's more looking to pass it to someone rather than just being like a, a giant and just steamrolling everyone. He yeah. was very good in this game. But maybe his best game all year. No, I fully agree. I think it, it looks like someone just said to him, have you looked in the mirror? <laughs> right, because we've, we've got a mirror. This mirror is six foot tall. Have a look in it. <laughs> Do you notice something? Oh, I'm not quite all in it. Yeah, you know why? Because you're a fucking big cunt. Fucking yeah. wrong man. Run hard. You know, all right then. Don't pass it. Don't worry about passing it. You run hard. If you see a gap coming up for your teammate around you, you pass it to him then if you can't go through and destroy someone in the process. Run, man. It, just fucking it, run. There was a couple of runs there where he got the ball and he just started striding out yeah. and running hard. And it was like, oh, man, how are they going to stop this? And it always takes two players to get him down. Like, there's never – I think that there was one player that did hit him. Oh, I wish I could remember who it was. might have been Ray Stone. There was one player in recent weeks who just nailed him. Oh, yeah, race don't got race don't nails nails everything. Yeah, you so, call him the hammer man. Yeah, <laughs> he uh, but that that's the only time like, and he was really dangerous. And you know, their attack still wasn't one hundred percent. I think that uh, Coruscant still didn't take full advantage late in the game as he should have. But it's going in a better direction. And, you know, when their defense is as good as, you know, the defense is, they're in every game. That Well, that's the thing, yeah. And it's going to get another big test next week because the South, South attack is, is bloody potent as well. Yeah. In, in a different way to the Storm. The Storm one is more, you know, just on the edges of the ruck either side. Mm-hmm. The the South defense is more wider of the ruck. You know, once they get out onto those absolute wings and the centers, the, those corridors, the Ellis corridors, mm-hmm. that's where they're dangerous. Because they've just got big bodies. They've got different shaped bodies. They've got speed speed merchants. They've got good steppers, good passes. They've got it all out there. Um, so they're, they are a tricky mob to try and, you know, contain out wide. So mm-hmm. Penrith will probably be trying to, I dare say, rush up on them on the edges and try and make South play in the middle. Do you think that, and we'll, we'll obviously do a proper grand final preview, so we won't get into it too much, but I, I have a feeling, it's funny how teams evolve very quickly over a final series. So, like, you look at South, they've got rid of those quiet moments in their game where they kind of just switch off 20 minutes and 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 they've really they really have. They've proven they can overcome adversity. And that's something we question going to the final series. The Panthers attack when when we come into the final series, we're like, is it good enough? It's kind of got a little bit better, uh, but it's quite a bit better than it was when we started the finals, I dare say. And they definitely look like they've gelled completely in defense. Um, I wonder, you know, that Souths have the ability to light up most teams, but it's going to be really hard for them to light up this Panthers team. And, you know, 
it's going to be really interesting to see how that all figures out in this next game, the grand final, because it's just so unpredictable. Like, if Penrith win, I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. If Souths win, I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. And those sorts of matchups are always really interesting. I felt the same way about the Storm game, though, too. I thought if Penrith won it, it was going to be close game. But if the Storm won, it was going to be high-scoring. Yeah. I think the thing that put the uh, – yeah, sort of changed the tone of the game was Penrith scored a try in just, what, the second minute? Yeah, and Cleary had a dummy half with a nice kick across field to Crichton. It just uh, it caught Melbourne off guard. Mm-hmm. And Melbourne were constantly trying to play catch-up football against the best defensive team in the comp at their absolute defensive best. Mm-hmm. And it frustrated the Melbourne attack because they threw a lot, you know, a lot of different trick shots and a lot of different plays at them. And Penrith just kept hanging on. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, the first half was pretty damn good. The second half was epic. Um, and, man, it was a it was a crazy game as a fan to go through the ups and downs. I don't think I've ever lived and died through a footy game or maybe even a sporting contest the way that I did with this football game. I think I was walking for the last... I don't know, probably 60 minutes of the match. I, I sat down a lot for the first half <laughs> because I'm normally pretty calm watching a footy game, but the second half was very different. I was pacing and stuff, and I, I've said this to you, but at, at full time, um, I basically dropped to the ground and was crying for five minutes. I was, and I was exhausted for the rest of the, the night. I was emotional. I just, there was something about this game that was, um, it was very special. And I think it was everything that come into it from, you know, losing last year's grand final, which I I kind of handled matter-of-factly because the Panthers were such a young team. The Storm were just so experienced and so great. But to overcome that same team, um, you know, and the Storm are the best team of the modern era. To, and to beat them in a contest like that, damn, it's that's ama- it's amazing. It's one of their best wins ever. Now, for the West Tigers fans that do listen, um, those emotions that Freak were talking about, they, that happens in the finals. Um, to compare it with us, us West Tigers fans, it's kind of like when you're watching the West Tigers getting very close to winning back-to-back games. You're pacing around. You can't, you can't believe we're this close to it. Um, when it does happen, it doesn't happen often, let's be honest. Um, yeah, you do find you just break down in tears. The joy <laughs> and the relief, it's in, it's just amazing. So, yeah, we, we can understand what you're getting at there, Freaky. Okay, different it's... times of the year. Different times yeah. of the year, obviously. Yeah, yeah we understand it. It's like when, uh, when it gets to, like, January, about January 6th or 7th, and you hear there's a player coming out of rehab, and you just drop to your knees and you cry because you're like, yes, we got one. <laughs> we got one. I was going to say, when it's about February 6th, we've just beat two teams in a row in the trials. <laughs> and we've... The, the writing was on the wall for mainly this year. When they lost that trial to us in the, at the start of the year, <laughs> we knew then they were nothing. Oh, and they, they proved it in the finals. That's so funny. <laughs> 
I lost the Tigers in the trials. So it's weird. It's a weird footy season. Like there's been uh, a lot of dud games, but damn, that was a good one. And, and like, obviously, I probably look at it differently because we won. And but I, th- I still think it would have been an epic contest. And like right up to the last couple of minutes, I was thinking like if we lose this one, we've lost to a, just a truly great club. And I think that when we won it, it was just like, you know, and it's been a, a rough few weeks and you like just with personal stuff. But um, yeah, it, there was a lot of tension left my body as soon as the 80 minutes went up on the clock and they probably called full time. <laughs> it's, uh, I'm, I'm sure it's a, an amazing feeling. It does feel good. It's, uh, you know, hopefully the West Tigers get there in your lifetime. It'll be good. Well, they've already done it, you know, a few times in my lifetime. Yeah, yeah. I'm just wasting life now, expecting it to happen again. But do you feel like in, from 2005 you got your title so you're good? No, I. this, this is a thing. Mm. I still to this day, and Tigers fans hate me for this, I yeah. still to this day believe that the Tigers win in 2005 was more fluke than skill. Okay. So, so they, 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 went, they went in the finals in 2004, and they didn't yeah. make the finals again in 2010 yeah. afterwards. Because I, like, I can see that. Because in 2003, like, the Panthers' season, hard to, hard to poke any holes in it. Like, they won the minor premiership, great team all year. Um, it, it's just hard to really put a negative anywhere in it. So I, I've always said that I, that's my grand final, that I like I can die happy because I've got 2003. Everything else is just going to be a bonus. But you so, but you would like a season like that to be happy and, and feel like you're good now. Well, yeah, and that's the thing is that when you look back on 2005, you know, there was 26 rounds that year after 18 rounds. The Tigers were ninth. And for the whole year up until that point, they'd only spent three weeks inside the top eight, inside the top six. Mm-hmm. And that was rounds three, four, and five. You know, they they were not that that great a side. They mm-hmm. went on a on a winning run from round sixteen to round twenty four, which got them into the top four. Then they lost their last two games of the year. Interesting enough, against Melbourne and Penrith. Mm-hmm. And then got a got the kindest run possible during the finals. You know, they they beat the Cowboys, or they annihilate the Cowboys. They beat two teams that were probably a bit too cocky in mm-hmm. the Broncos and the Dragons. Mm-hmm. Both probably thought that they'd just walk through the Tigers. And the Tigers came up against the Cowboys again in the grand final, and the Cowboys team had just been playing grand final after grand final for, for you know, three or four straight weeks. That's three right. Three straight weeks. Yeah. They were just smashed when they turn up. And the Tigers still only beat them by 14 points. And, and the other thing with that Cowboys team too, it, like even at the time you kind of felt like they weren't quite there yet. And it turned out that, you know, that was the case. Once they, once they solidified a little bit more as a club, and and as a playing unit, they become champions themselves. But uh, 
you know, like I, I loved that grand final because it was so unique. And I like I've got, I don't think it was a fluke because I just think it was a Tigers team that found the right personnel and the right style of play to win that year. And for the, on top for the of that, one year for the one year that the rules absolutely favoured them just by fluke. Well, true, but, <laughs> but on top of that, you also had Benji Marshall's just magic sprinkled all over it as well. Oh yeah, look, there's, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying everything about it was a fluke. I just think there's too much that was basically failure either side of it for that to be anything more than just a, a one-hit wonder. Okay, because yeah. like I could see if somebody said with the Panthers in 2003 that like a couple of years before they won the wooden spoon. And, man, I remember that season so well because I was just like, I was so angry during that season. And then they, in 2003, they win the premiership. 2004, I think they were maybe a little bit of a better side, but they run into the Bulldogs, who were a very good team because they were coming out the salary cap thing. And uh, then a couple of years later, the Panthers are done. It's all over, you know? Yeah. And that, that was kind of almost what it was like in with 90, where they lost. 91, they win the premiership. A few years later, it's all over at Penrith. Um, so there was, it wasn't like there was extend, uh, an extended amount of success at the Panthers. They, they kind of won it and disappeared again. Yeah, although yeah. extenuating circumstances have had a pretty large role to play in that one. Yeah, definitely. In the yeah. 90s. Um, see, it's, I mean, it's, it's great that I got to see my team win a premiership. Mm-hmm. Of course it is, but surely they can make the finals more than once a decade. They sh- they should. Yeah. That's the problem. <laughs> but anyway, we've done enough West Tigers rants. We'll move yeah, on. True, we'll true. move on. Um, um, look, as a Panthers fan, I, playing South Sydney in a grand final is super, super special to me. And it's not something that I thought about before South got into the grand final. And I was thinking, man, playing South in a grand final would be something else. Like, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but uh, more special than playing the Melbourne Storm last year, more special than playing the Roosters because it's, it's South Sydney. This is the greatest club ever. Do you know when the last time was at South Sydney were runners-up? In a grand final? Yeah. 1969? Indeed they were. Who did they lose to there? Do you know who they lost to? They lost to, let me think. It's got to have been St. George. Nope. West, uh, the Tigers. Balmain. Last yeah, time Balmain won a title, it was 11-2. There you go. That game... Yes. For a little bit of a walk down memory lane. That game is um, regarded as the kind of the start of teams winding down the clock on every play possible. You know, you see teams playing, and it's like the last two minutes of a game, and they get the ball, and all of a sudden they've got cramps and they're doing slow play, the balls and sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. The Tigers were doing that for most of that game in 1969, not because they're trying to waste time, but because. South was such a magnificent attacking machine. Mm-hmm. Everything was just smooth. It just fucking functioned so well. Teams struggled to defend against it. 
and Bow made found the best way to uh, to break them up mm-hmm. was just to try and make them play stop start football. Wow! So they they would basically just piss farting around half the time. <laughs> kind of like remember Brian Smith used to do that against the Broncos. Yes, yes, and that That's messed exactly. the Broncos up. It really very, messed with them. Very similar thing, yeah. Mm. Um, all legit. Um, a lot of people didn't like it because they probably thought it wasn't sporting. But you know, everyone does it now. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's not great when you say it, like, and I guess we can talk about the referee now in these two games. I think it's been poor. It really yes. is poor. I think it's been poor through the whole final series. And I think that it's because the referees, at the very least, it's because the referees have been asked to do too much. And I think that the Christian Welsh situation was a really good example of that in that the referee is, he's listening to the bunker, who is the number one ref in the game, the, uh, the number one official in the game. So he's listening to him. He's listening to his touch judges, calling for forwards and stuff, but also watching for them as well. He's doing all of his referee duties, so he's getting players back 10, watching for forwards, watching who's offside and everything. But then he's also got to watch for who's injured and who isn't. But then he's also got to watch for if the trainer's asking for him to stop the game and stuff. And it's, you know, we've taken it from two referees to one referee and then made him work... 150% 150% harder than he used to work. And of course, we're going to get a messy refereeing situation. And I think in both games, we saw both officials kind of lose it a little bit. And I don't mean in terms of the occasions got to them. I just think there's so much going on. How can they possibly keep up with it all? Yeah, they... I think I um, I said in the last episode... I kind of got the feeling that they were second-guessing themselves a little bit mm-hmm. um, in the sense that they, they're going into the game prepared to referee the way they've refereed games all year, but then also kind of remind themselves, hang on, this is the finals game, so we need to be maybe a, a smidge more lenient than we normally would be. So every time they look like they're about to, you know, call a penalty, say, so, oh, maybe we'll let this one slide. It's not that big a deal. And there just just seems to be a bit of hesitancy and a bit of second-guessing, and it, it seems to be detrimental to to the the refereeing performances. And that that's something that's crept into the game after we've had other people talk about how refs should only call this, you know, the, what was it? The, um, the obvious ones. The obvious ones. <laughs> Fucking hell. Yeah, it's uh, that. So reminds now all me. of a sudden, a ref is going through everything, and they're going, "There's infringement. Um, let's grade that on the obvious scale." Hang on, another one's happened. Speaking of the obvious scale, and obviously this is a Karen thing. Karen was calling the Panthers game, and people blowing up about it. Um, there was a disallowed try to the Storm under the posts, and did, what? Hang on, they, hang on. Did, he, did he say just give it to him? Yes, yes. There was an obstruction play by the Storm where a Storm player basically ran at a Panthers defender on the line and takes him out, right? As that Panthers player is going into his is, – is he's kind of getting into his position defensively. So the Storm player runs through, takes him out, and there's a gap there, of course. And so, you know, another Storm player comes through and scores a try. And that's an obstruction. It's been an obstruction since – 
I think only about 1895. And, yeah. of course, Phil Gould is like, well, that's not obstruction. He made a decision to go after the player. And it's like <laughs> the player kind of took his legs out from underneath him. It's the, not really a decision. It's self-preservation, you know. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, that that just reminded me of that. Yeah, he's, uh, he, all reports are Phil Gould had an absolute shocker of a game with his with his call, especially in the the Panthers game. Um, doesn't matter which club he goes to, he still has a lot of bias for the Panthers. That's understandable. understandable. I, t- I, I can tell you, as a Panthers fan, when I listen to him watching a Panthers game, I I don't feel any like oh he's on our side or anything. It's just oh, I wish he'd shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the refereeing has been average, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but not as bad as the commentary. There was no, there was a moment during the... Which game was it? Oh, no, it was the Panthers-Storm game. Mm-hmm. And one commentator said... It was Michael Ennis, actually. said, oh, this has been the best the best half of football all year. And within within about the next five minutes after that, both sides dropped the ball about two or three times. <laughs> hmm. Put the muzzle on that one real fast. Yeah, it, I tell you who's been the worst through the whole final series is Andrew Johns, and it's not even close. Like, Andrew Johns, I think I might have said this to you earlier, he's calling the games like he's never seen it before. So most of half of what he says is questions to, to other commentators. And then there's like... Things where he'll say, oh, this player knocked it on and stuff, and then you show the replay and the player didn't get anywhere near it, and you're like, what's he watching? Like, his, his literal job is to watch and talk about what he's seeing, and he's obviously not watching this game. Nope. So I don't get it. <laughs> no, I, it's, got, it's got me beat. I don't know what the hell they're doing anymore. Mm. Um, I, think, I think Joey just needs to go for a trip up to uh, Michael Gordon's coffee shop. Just have a few coffees there. Speaking of the Gold Coast, uh, a little bit of not great news for the NRL and especially the New Zealand Warriors. Reese Walsh has been arrested by Queensland police and he has admitted to being in possession of cocaine. Coffee. Cocaine. (laughs) And they did a video of where he basically fronted up to the media with some of the power brokers at the New Zealand Warriors. Yeah. And I I was a little bit uneasy about it because he is only 19 and he has done the wrong thing and he admitted it himself. He, He owned up to it. But I just think there's a duty of care there that the club should have thought a little bit longer about in before they put him in front of the media like this. Um, Walsh made a statement, and I'll read out some of the statement. He said, I was told by officers last night to move on. I didn't move on, which led to me getting arrested and taken back to the police station. Once I got back to the police station, I was searched, and I was in possession of a small bag of cocaine, which I had some of during the night. No one else is involved in this. This is solely on me. I should never have done it. It's a mistake that I've made, and I'm aware of that. I'm remorseful and should never have done it. Um, what do you think of the duty of care aspect in terms of him being 19 years old? And I understand they want their players and one of their star players to be accountable, but 
he is 19 and I don't know. I just, there's something about it that makes me feel uneasy. Um, it, it's a tough one. You know, if you, if you let one play get away or well, not so get away, if you let, if you go a little bit light on one teenage player for doing the wrong thing here, you know, where, where does the line get drawn? Where do they stop being? Well, he was only 20 or he was only 21, you know, what what point do we stop drawing that line and saying no, he's just a young fella? Um, so I'm I understand I understand your unease with it. Mm-hmm. But I think at the same time, these guys from the moment they're in, you know, New South Wales Cup and the like, and they're you know they're earmarked to be NRL players, they probably go through quite a fair bit of welfare training and education stuff about what they can and can't do. So he probably should have known that he was doing the wrong thing. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I saw the – I think there was a video, wasn't there, of him? I, there was a video apparently of him being arrested. I haven't seen that video. On a, was there a video of him with the Warriors boss giving the statement? Yes. yes. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if the video is required. I don't know. Yeah. I I'm I'm fine with the statement he made. It's, it seems genuine. Um, I think that's that's more than enough. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens though with the with the courts and stuff like that. Uh, it's just a shitful situation all around, really. I mean, yeah. end of the day, hopefully he realizes that uh, this is a fucking stupid thing to be doing for a professional footballer. Um, in the very least, and that he won't do that stuff, that stupid garbage anymore. You know, he'll, he'll wake up to himself and realise that that's not the done thing. Yeah, it's, man, it's a rough one because, um, you know, the way he was brought to the Warriors and, you know, his first game was a very good game and straight away they, the Warriors and the media were like, he's our new RTS and RTS was like, I'm going to step down from playing fullback and be a $1 million a year winger now so he can play fullback. And he was really their, probably their best player this year, just about. Um, and, and so there's been so much responsibility put on him but and so much expectation. And with that, I can understand where he would feel on top of the world to a certain extent, you know, and all of a sudden his manager will be getting calls from other clubs and things like that. And I don't know. It's just a lot for a 19-year-old to have to deal with very quickly. You know, this time last year, we didn't really know who Reese Walsh was. Yeah. So I, I I just hope that someone's looking after him. I hope he learns from this and that, um, you know, hopefully he's a player that, you know, in 10, 12, 13 years from now, he's talking about how that was a moment for him where it's like, I learned a lot from that moment and never did anything like that again. Yeah, fuck it. We're just going to do a hard edit right here. We just spent about half an hour completely amusing ourselves with our own sense of humour. What the fuck? We're amusing to ourselves. Yeah. We're, we're funny bastards. We really are. We said a lot of things that no one will ever get to hear. 
No, 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 no. We, we can't have that. Mm. Um, unless you give us both a million dollars each per month on Patreon. Yeah, if someone gives us a million bucks, you can have that 20 minutes. Exactly. Uh, we won't claim it was us, though. No, it's someone else. Just some audio tracks that we found on our computers, not us. <laughs> you know, Andrew, where would people be able to find your Patreon? If they went to patreon.com slash rlproject, they would find it there, and you could be able to make a monthly donation from as little as a dollar per month. That, that sounds pretty good. It is pretty good, but it's not as good as the deals that you've got going over at your Patreon, League Freak. Oh, I've got more tears than West Tigers fans have, or Parramatta fans these days. Um, you can get merch after three months on different tiers, but you can also come in at $1 a month, um, and it all goes towards the website and website addresses and stuff like that, whereas Andrew's one goes towards the digitization of rugby league's history. This week, we'll have a grand final preview. Um, yes. I'll try, I, I was thinking I should try and get a South fan on, talk to a South fan, eh? Okay. Yeah. Do we know any? I do, yeah. I've got one in mind. you got one in mind? Yes, I do. I do. Wow. I'll see that's, if I can line it up. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know many people that follow many different clubs. Okay, and then we'll have to find a Panthers fan to talk to them as well. Do you know any of those? No. Ah, fuck. Well, you know what? I follow a team in the West. I'll just pretend to be a Panthers fan. Okay, that'll be good. Yeah, they're the same as West Tigers fans. (laughs) From what I've seen. (laughs) By the way, before we go, let's talk about how miserable some fucking people have been during the final series on Twitter. (laughs) Yes, that's true. Holy shit. I I made a comment on um, the 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 comments that Jerome Luo made about how the the fact he was he blacked out and felt dizzy and I just said stands a lot to me like someone should not have passed his HIA. That's it. Yeah. Um, and I had two people respond to me rather aggressively about that. Mm. One of them was saying that um, something along the lines of. I'm just bitter because my team lost. I was like, I wish my team hasn't played finals football since 2011. <laughs> Another person had an argument with me, which ended up, I ended up having to uh, explain to them how I'm not salty about Ivan Cleary leaving. I genuinely don't care. Mm. You've got me all wrong. And he just replied with, oh, okay. And that was it. It was like some sort of truce. I had... In the last week, I've had people, like, while the Parramatta game was going on, just randomly tweet me saying, oh, well, fucking Storm's going to smash him. Just, like, miserable shit, you know? Like, why would you tweet miserable shit? And it continued into this game against the Storm. It was like, oh, they're going to lose to the rabbit eyes. Like, why are so fucking miserable, man? And I saw South fans copping similar stuff. And so I tweeted today, like, if don't if you're a South or a Panthers fan, don't let miserable people try and make you as miserable as they are. Because this is fucking awesome. Like, even during, like, the game against the Storm, as nervous as I was, I was like, holy shit, we're in the finals. <laughs> this is fucking cool, man. And I, I just am so excited to have a team that's good to support because I know what it's like to have a team that's just crap. 
And so there's there's no killing this buzz. And people tried it last year and it didn't work either. But I, I started to see people like starting to retweet miserable people. It's like, nah, don't retweet them. Just let them be miserable. Fuck them. Were they West Tigers supporters by chance? I think it was people from a lot of different clubs, you know. But mostly West Tigers. Uh, possibly. I don't know. I don't like to put anyone in a pigeonhole. West Tigers fans. <laughs> did you see, call the shit out where we go? Did you did you see a lot of West? So I I don't see a lot of the West Tiger stuff, but did you uh, see? I've got a few. I've got a few. Um, a few people I, I see on Twitter a fair bit who are West Tigers fans who disagree with the fact that I'm critical of the team that they, they or we both follow. Yeah. Because apparently, if you criticise something for being completely shit and losing all the time, mm-hmm. because you want to see them be successful and win. That shows that you don't care about the team. Yeah. I, I, I used to get that with the Panthers too. So a weird... I don't understand weird. that logic. Yeah. yeah. So it's like looking at your own child and they're just sitting there getting fat and playing video games and they're like 19 years old. And you go, did you like want to like do something with your life? And no, I didn't want to do anything. On okay, you're awesome. You're <laughs> not going to do that. You say, maybe you should get off your ass and fucking do something. <laughs> Stop being a waste of space. You know the ones I love is that there's and there's you don't see it very often, but you do see is people saying stuff about Ivan Cleary, uh, Nathan Cleary, sorry. And I won't say what it is, but it's like so you're surprised that the son of a former professional athlete is a good football player. Like, you know, what the fuck do you expect? Maybe you would be as good as he is. If you weren't a fucking vegan, soy-drinking moron. Let's cut the field down. Ah, oh, <laughs> fucking. You know, it's like, it's like, yeah, of course he's a good football player, you dumb fuck. His dad was a football player too, and it was a bloody good football player. Doesn't like, he have an uncle as well who was a, uh, Jason Deeks is his uncle? Oh, is he? Something like that. There was a few of them. He's got a few few uncles, I think, that were yeah. former players in the 90s. There's just always somebody that's willing to, like, these two teams literally are in the grand final next week, and there's always some fucking Debbie Downer asshole that wants to be like, oh, yeah, but what about blah, 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 blah. It's like, shut the fuck up, you idiot. Yeah, Jason Deeth is his uncle. Yeah. Another, another uncle, Josh Stewart. Oh, wow. You remember Josh Stewart? Yeah, I do. He was well, John. Player. John Deeth was a uh, sorry. Jason Deeth was, I think, a hooker, and he played two hundred and one games in the NRL. Yeah. yeah. Josh Stewart played one hundred and thirty games. I think he was a, um, a front rower. Played for New South Wales in ninety seven. And John Stewart is his grandfather. And John Stewart played for Newtown in nineteen sixty eight. Wow, I didn't realize he had that much football pedigree in his family. There you go. Thanks for tuning in and persevering with this weird shit at the end. Hard edit. <laughs> um, make sure you check us out on all the uh, socials at Instagram and Twitter at Virgo Freak Pod. We're on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook. So check us all out over there. Um, like, subscribe. That'd be fantastic. Um, leave us a five star rating and a review on your podcast listening app. That would be awesome. And thanks for listening. Catch us all next time.